mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you are new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. But before I get into all that, I have to rant for just a second about my life and, you know, give some little updates, some little things that have been going on in the celebrity world. First of all, a few weeks ago, I started trying to do a sourdough starter, and it really is feeling like a metaphor for my life. It's 100% on the struggle bus. It smells bad like most of the time. Uh, It's really not rising. It's not doing its best. And I have to feed it all the time or it gets upset. And I'm really pushing for it. I'm hoping by next weekend I'll be able to actually make some bread out of it. But as of now, not my forte. And I know I am very late on the sourdough train. Like why I started my sourdough starter once I was already having to be back in my office is beyond me. Like I should have done it when I was still working from home and I really could have babied it and gave it the attention it needed. But alas, I just want to let you guys know that because I feel like it's a journey we can go on together and you know, when I finally am able to make some bread out of it, you guys will be the first to know. So Justin Bieber and Benny Blanco just released a new music video yesterday. It was called Lonely. And Jacob Tremblay, he's such a cute little child actor. He's of Room fame, which he starred in with Brie Larson. Such a devastatingly sad movie. I think it's on Netflix now if you want to check it out because it is really good, but it's just heart-wrenching. And so Jacob plays a young JB and fantastic casting honestly and he's in the little white and the purple hoodie so it definitely mirrors JB's look when he was in Never Say Never and that period of his life as an aside Never Say Never is one of my favorite documentaries of all time it might be number one I skipped like an important college tradition to go see Never Say Never at the movie theater in college like I drove myself to the movie theater to go see it Uh, with Elena and you know no regrets at all it was a great choice but uh, the lyrics of Lonely are hella sad Um, poor JB I think he's been through some shit living the life he's had and the level of fame he's had since a young age I mean I think that's pretty obvious but this song really delves into that on a surface level so let's chat about this little stanza it says Everybody knows my past now, like my house was always made of glass. And maybe that's the price you pay for the money and fame at an early age. And everyone, Betty saw me sick and it felt like no one gave a shit. They criticized the things I did as an idiot kid. I mean, if that doesn't hit you right in the heart, you don't have one. In happier news, Mindy Kaling announced a new show she's making. It's called The Sex Sex Lives of College Girls which frankly sounds fascinating. And one of the stars is Pauline Chalamet, which feels fitting today because we are going to be talking about King Timmy Chalamet quite a bit later on. And Timmy is her brother. And it just looks very good. You guys know I love Mindy, so I can't wait. And another thing we have to look forward to is that Ariana Grande straight up said her new album is coming this month. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to that, myself included. And while I'm thinking about it, uh, it is 12.26 p.m. on a Saturday, and I am currently sipping an espresso martini that Kenzie made for me last night when I was supposed to record, but I ate like a pound of cheese out of a quesadilla I had, and I just was not in a state to record last night. So I'm having my espresso martini right now, and it's, it's a really great recording companion. 
Kenzie likes to call them Despresso martinis because, you know, when you dr- you drink them when you're depressed and then you instantly get kind of that little upper with the downer and it just perks you right up and they're delicious. That's like if I'm like trying to have a night and I want my lazy, sleepy ass to not get super full and be able to stay out, get yourself an Espresso Depresso martini, <laughs> okay? Especially like a place that does it good. You will not regret. If you are in New York, go to San Ambrose. Um, I'm saying that so wrong. I've never actually had one in New York, but we have one in Palm Beach and they make a very good one. It's not very sweet and you can kind of like add your own sweetener to it if you want to zhuzh it up a little bit. So that's just my little drinking tip of the day. Moving on to something a little darker, we spoke a little while ago about how Megan the Stallion was shot and so she's now penned a New York Times op-ed on protecting black women. It's called Protect Black Women and it's a really powerful piece and in part she writes this. It says, I was recently the victim of an act of violence by a man. After a party, I was shot twice as I walked away from him. We're not in a relationship. Truthfully, I was shocked that I ended up in that place. My initial silence about what happened was out of fear for myself and my friends. Even as a victim, I have been met with skepticism and judgment. The way people have publicly questioned and debated whether I played a role in my own violent assault proves that my fears about discussing what happened were unfortunately warranted. After a lot of self-reflection on that incident, I've realized that violence against women is not always connected to being in a relationship. Instead, it happens because too many men treat all women as objects, which helps them to justify inflicting abuse against us when we choose to exercise our own free will. From the moment we begin to navigate the intricacies of adolescence, we feel the weight of this threat and the weight of contradictory expectations and misguided preconceptions. Many of us begin to put too much value on how we are seen by others. That's if we are seen at all. And it was crazy to me because I was looking at the comments on this and one of the top comments uh, was, it was from a black woman, but she was saying, you know, you can't say all of this and then sort of sexualize yourself in the way you do. And I just thought that was so sad because, you know, WAP, we talked about it. I didn't, I mean, for one, I think it's everyone's right to be as sexually explicit as they want to be. But I really viewed WAP as more of a statement on how it's not, there's not a batted eye when men act like that in rap videos. They've been acting like that in rap videos for, since rap videos were made. And I think anytime we can kind of subvert that, you know, gendered way of approaching art in the entertainment world it's a good thing and I think Megan Thee Stallion is so aware of that I think she's so smart and she knows exactly what she's doing so it was a little sad to me that like that was and maybe it maybe it was the top comment because there's just a lot of conversation about it but I, I don't know I, again I I thought this was a really powerful piece I invite you to read the whole thing it's obviously linked in the show notes like every article we talk about But yeah, I just wanted to talk about that, especially since we originally talked about her getting shot. There was such a lack of information about what exactly happened to her. So there has been a little bit more clarity about that since time has passed. Speaking of much more lighthearted celebrity gossip, I'm sure you guys have heard about the Dominic West, Lily James saga. It's really hitting that need for some just juicy gossip. So Dominic West is one of the stars of the show, The Affair, ironically, and he was spotted getting very cozy with Lily James. You may know her from Cinderella. Uh, She was in Yesterday. She was in Mamma Mia 2, 2, 3, 3, 2, 2. So yeah, 
she is younger than Dominic West and they were just seen getting very cozy. There's one where it appears that Dominic's kind of like nuzzling her neck. There's one where they're, I think they're in a church and he's like grabbing her ass. And the reason this is of no is because Dominic West is married. He is very much married and he has kids and it just seemed like very public PDA. And then there was just this super weird after the fact, what I think was a total publicity stunt, where him and his wife like posed in front of their house. And then there's a picture of a note and it's written on white paper and it's laying in like a pile of dirt with some grass behind it. And it says, our marriage is strong and we're very much still together. Thank you. And it's signed by Dominic and his wife. And that's just one of the weirdest things I've ever seen come out of a cheating scandal. I don't know y'all's thoughts on the whole thing. To me, it's very bizarre. So moving on to our first article of the day, this also has to do with seeing some people interlocked in some PDA, if you will. Timote didn't like those boat makeout photos either by Hannah Gold. So before we get into this, I hope you guys are already aware of the photos that this is referencing. And if not, just quickly do a little Google on Timmy Chalamet with Lily Rose Depp boat makeout. And don't worry, you can delete your history afterwards. There's no need to be ashamed. And in case you need a refresher, the one photo that really made the rounds from this set of paparazzi photos was one where it just looks like Lily is like sucking the life out of Timmy and her kiss and it's just so uncomfy and it looks like teenagers making out and it's just not and they practically were teenagers they were so young so you know Timmy does this article with GQ and he says in it that he found the photographs embarrassing and he couldn't believe that anyone would think it was a publicity stunt. He said after his date, it, he went to bed that night thinking it was one of the best days of his life. I was on this boat all day with someone I really loved and closing my eyes, I was like indisputably that was great. Then morning hit, waking up to all those pictures and feeling embarrassed and looking like a real knob and pale. And then people are like, this is a PR stunt. A PR stunt? Do you think I'd want to look like that in front of all of you? I mean, he makes a very valid point. I never thought that was a PR stunt. Dude, I think Tom Hiddleston and Taylor Swift on the beach was a photo, was a stunt. Yes, I didn't think Lillian, they would have made themselves not look so weird if it was a publicity stunt. It would have been a more controlled release of the photos. So anyways, so this article from Hannah just made me want to deep dive into the actual GQ article with Timmy. So let's do that, shall we? The Making and Remaking of Timothée Chalamet by Daniel Riley. Now, this article starts out that saying uh, after the 2018 Oscars, where Timmy was nominated for Call Me By Your Name, he basically turned back into a pumpkin when the clock struck 12, a la Cinderella, and that he was just in New York with no credit card, no apartment, and no longer any structured demands on his time and attention. And I'm sorry, I'm just not buying it. Like, he might not have had a credit card because he's young, and I don't think I had a credit card till I was like 23, but... I just don't believe that he was like hard up and, you know, hard knock life in New York City. He just screams institutional wealth to me. And I feel like he had to have some mommy daddy money floating around. Maybe that is judgmental of me, but can you blame me for thinking it? And the first picture in this article is, or one of the first, is Timmy in a pink Juicy Couture hoodie. And it says, his own. So what I want to know is, do we think that Timmy watched the Paris Hilton YouTube documentary on YouTube? Because you can't tell me that this look wasn't inspired by Paris Hilton. 
Now then we have this from the author. I asked him the version of the same question over and over. What had the last two and a half years been like for him as a human being? His response was a multi-hour monologue that I would characterize as intense. He expressed unadulterated gratitude for his great good fortune, but he also expressed confusion and tension. He is firmly in a moment when he is concerned that everything he says or does will look or sound wrong. He backtracked a lot. Wait, let me try that again. He jumped on and off the record. Sorry, sorry, this is just for you. It was important for me to know, he said, in order to communicate the context of his experience, if not the specifics. I just wanted to give you guys that contextual background. And it's also worth pointing out that Timmy, for a large part of this, was interviewed at a little Airbnb that he had rented in Woodstock. And he rented it to gear up for his portrayal of Bob Dylan in a upcoming biopic. And... Another little charming fact about this is that he rented a Honda sedan from Enterprise to go from Woodstock to the city. And you just know Enterprise is like, boom, baby, about that shout out. They're like, they're going to have Timmy on their next promotional materials. And apparently he learned to drive when he was in Beautiful Boy, which was not that long ago, I believe two years ago, which is just so New York City of him. And at one point, he stood up and slapped an empty water bottle off the table so that it clattered against the screen of the porch. And he said, I want to know what that sounds like. (laughs) Oh, Lord. In some ways, that is worse than the Rob Pattinson pasta making GQ parable. Like that just seems like something someone would do in an overwrought teen series. And uh, in fact, in the next line, Timmy says he was cooking his shitty pasta in the little Woodstock cabin. So you know, apparently him and Rob should get together. (laughs) Another adorable part is Greta Gerwig, who obviously directed Little Tim Tim in Lady Bird and Little Woman, Little Women, wrote as follows. At one point, he stood up and slapped an... Oh, sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to get into the empty water bottle again. I lost my place. Um, She said, I love talking to him. We can get on the phone and talk for an hour or more without even realizing it. Just skipping from subject to subject, making jokes, me feeling old and happy and him being funny and anxious and delightfully all over the place. Then we have this nice story when the author Daniel is just interviewing him out in the city. And it says, Timothée's mask had slipped down his face as he was saying this and two young women about his age approached cautiously. Would you mind if we got a they asked, and he hopped up without hesitation. How'd you recognize me? He said, friendly, but genuinely curious, as if he hadn't just been shouting about art in a voice that sounded a lot like Lori from Little Women or Timmy from late night shows. Was it the scrawny limbs or the hair? I asked him as he sat back down. Definitely the first. I mean, this author is like kind of shading him, but at the same time, just lapping it the fuck up. So the director of Dune speaks about him also in a very positive way. That's kind of the theme of this whole article. That it's just portraying Timmy as this little cherub of a man. And this line from Dune director really got me. He said, there's something of a romantic beauty to him. A cross of aristocracy and being a bum at the same time. <laughs> and this is so funny to me because... One of my friend's husbands, he just really has it out for Timmy. And we talked about this before, but he texted me when, it, you know, the first Dune trailer come out. And he's just like, how is Tiny Tim getting these roles? And this is the answer. This is the answer for you. (laughs) 
Then we are blessed with a quote from little princess Zendaya herself. She said, his positive energy is infectious. He really is so much fun to be around. We have very similar humor and we can keep a joke going for a long time. But when the cameras start rolling and it's time to work, you can see it's game time. And he just taps into this brilliant intensity. It's awesome to witness. And Zendaya is uh, starring with him in Dune. And on top of all that gushing, if it's not enough, Saoirse Ronan, they have a very adorable friendship. She speaks very kindly of him. And then he says that Saoirse is one of my best friends in the world. At least I think we're best friends. And she's never judged me for the Coachella of it all. And the author adds that he's <laughs> resist- talking about Timmy fanning out backstage with his favorite musicians or occasionally allowing himself to be in the spotlight, even as he talks about preserving his privacy. So I really liked the self-awareness of all of that. And I just, again, I found that article quite, quite delightful. Okay, our last article of the day is the sorority that tried to abolish itself, how the anti-Greek life movement upended Zeta Tau Alpha at Northwestern. And this is by Brock Kolyar. Now, this all started when an Instagram account called at abolish and new Greek life was created. And the first post said, this is a call to dismantle Greek life at Northwestern University. We must abolish these organizations, which are embedded with racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and classism. And soon there was, you know, hundreds of posts from students alleging these same things. And the story talks about, you know, sexual assault, struggling to pay dues, unsuccessfully rushing as non-binary and trans students. And then I liked this part because one of the stories was a sorority sister who bragged about her Aryan looks and her Mayflower descended ancestors. (laughs) But one of the posts on this account, it particularly called out Zeta. And it claimed that a white member had said that they should rush fewer minorities and that other members proudly stated that Zetas are blonde. And it went on to say there was dehumanizing recruitment practices and that when Rush ended, all of the white women became friends only with each other and left out all of the BIPOC women unless it was an official event. So the members were kind of like, okay, we need to take some sort of immediate action. And they called for an emergency Zoom call. And their question was, should we abolish ourselves? And this article is poignant because it's actually written by a Northwestern graduate. And he talks about how approximately 40% of the population is Greek, but he didn't end up joining. And he admits that Greek life still played a role in his social life. And that sounds sort of how the Greek system was at my college because we were about 60% Greek. I was in a sorority. A difference at my school is that we don't rush until sophomore year, which I actually think helps with a lot of problems. Obviously, things still exist, um, This the problems that are spoken about in this article, but I do think that helps. And the other thing that I think maybe Northwestern and my school had in common was that Greek life was pretty inclusive. If you weren't in a sorority or fraternity, you weren't like banned from coming into a frat house. Whereas I've heard in the South from like my siblings who went to UF for undergrad that it definitely is more of that stance that if you are unaffiliated, you're not as welcome going to a fraternity party, right? Yeah. So she's saying that non-affiliated men 
really have problems getting into any sort of fraternity affiliated party obviously there's times where that's not the case but as an overall rule that's how it is and that's not the vibe I ever got at my college because even when you're a freshman you're no one's affiliated so that's kind of what I mean by it helping out a little bit but I've always said that one of the the main issues here is because Panhellenic, which is the overarching people who are in charge of sororities, have such strict and old-fashioned rules about partying on campus, it makes it so a lot of the social spaces are dominated by fraternities. And it doesn't give women a women-dominated and owned place to socialize. And it's what puts women at the control of men a lot in those situations and that's always been my stance on this and actually the sorority I was in went local so it's kind of a form of abolishing itself because it disaffiliated with Tridel and now is called Kydel so they don't have to follow the rules of a national sorority organization they still are a place where women can get together and have their own social space but again I'm not saying that solves every issue uh but I I do think it's so interesting the the complexities that Greek life causes and definitely the issue with minorities not feeling necessarily welcome in them. And obviously there are, there's black sororities, but you know, for people who are maybe Hispanic or Asian, maybe they don't feel like there's a place that they are welcome. And that's just awful. I I would always hope that a sorority is a welcoming place. And I would say for the most part, that's how I felt, but I can only speak as a white woman. So I I just bring that up because the next part of the article says there's a common refrain on Northwestern's campus that says Greek life here is not like it's elsewhere. And it's a not so subtle sign that Northwestern considers itself different from state schools or Southern schools or schools that aren't elite. And I definitely think that's something that, you know, affected Greek life at, at my school. And it notes that, you know, wandering into the house, you might see the face of a famous alum smiling off the wall, such as Julia Louis-Dreyfus or Meghan Markle. So I would love to hear Meghan Markle's experience at Northwestern as someone who is you know, um, part black. So it's just, the story goes on and it focuses on Nolani Buonomo, who was a member of Zeta. But after things started coming to light, she decided to leave. And of course, when this is all going on, the national organization just swoops in. And and I, I thought this line was fascinating. It says, despite often being the public face of controversy in higher education, these national Greek organizations never seem to get that much pushback from universities. There are a number of reasons why, but the short answer is money. And I think that's very true. And um, so the national organization scheduled a call to discuss the issue with the students and was trying to dissuade them from leaving the chapter. And the members apparently had three hours worth of concerns about racial bias, financial aid, stories from the Instagram page that had cropped up. And then others were talking about their struggle to afford dues. And (laughs) this is one student's representation of what happened she says the national representative's response was basically i'm sorry i can't help it if you're below the poverty line and zeta's international office did not return a request for comment on this article (laughs) and then the article goes into the subtle profiling that happens during rush where a lot of times an asian girl will be paired with an asian potential new member a jewish girl will be paired with a Jewish potential new member. So it's kind of this subtle profiling going on that people are thinking, oh, this is going to help make this woman feel more comfortable in her rush process. But at the same time, it can make them 
feel excluded and, you know, segmented out. And um, again, I the, the, the article has a lot of statements from students and one said, these problems like the ignorant statements people make, I don't think exist just because because Greek life exists. I think without Greek life, there'd still be a lot of social stratification and it would probably still be along race and class lines. And I do think that's the problem is that it runs so deep that it doesn't mean that stuff is going to just be fixed if you abolish the Greek system. And I think there's so many positives that come out of the Greek system. Friendships, philanthropy, again, a woman-owned social space that I just think if you take it away and then the fraternity system is allowed to keep going it just allows power to remain in those systems and on that line the author then speaks about the differences between how the girls handled this versus the boys and he writes sororities moved much more quickly but they also struggle with leaving behind what felt to them like much needed all-female community in an environment where sexual assault is a frequent topic of concern According to the AEPI member I spoke with, the boys didn't agonize over the decision as much. For them, friendship isn't the main draw of a fraternity. A bunch of us are leaving, he told me, but if there were parties, we'd be staying. Ugh, and just the shallowness of that, and it's just sad. That's This is why we can't just let fraternities exist, guys. We have to continue pushing for sororities. All right, guys, we've made it to my legit shit for today. I am so excited about my purchase that just came in that I'm putting it on legit shit before I've even used it. And it is an ice cream maker from Cuisinart. And I I know it's going to be good because I know multiple people who have the same one and they all love it. And I'm going to make, Kenzie and I decided we're going to do like a tropical one, which I know is not fall-like, but we're going to do some toasted coconut, a little bit of coconut milk in the actual base. We bought this pineapple rum jam from this local guy who does good jams here. And we're going to put in pound cake. And I'm just, oh, I'm so excited about maybe a little macadamia nut for some crunch. And I will let you guys know how it goes. But I will also link the ice cream maker if you'd like to check it out. And I will see you guys next week. But until then, please rate and review the podcast if you haven't yet. I've been stuck at 47 reviews on Apple Podcasts for so long. So I would love it if you did that. And even more importantly, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if you like Kind of Cute, maybe just share it with a friend. And as always, you can hit me up in the DMs at Bailey Evan or Kind of Cute Podcast. Bye.